0: Good morning. I'm going to look out there real good because the first group, when I got up here, I told them, I said, man, y'all are a good-looking bunch. Well, now I've got a second group to compare to, and I want you to know y'all are a good-looking bunch too. This is, this is just a good-looking bunch of people. It's good to have you all here this morning. Thank you for coming and worshiping with us here at Ivy Creek Baptist Church. We are excited that you are here. And I hope that you will also be excited, as I am, that we are able to celebrate the Lord's Supper together this morning. This is a, a wonderful time as a church family to gather a red, together around the table and to be able to celebrate and participate in uh, the Lord's Supper. And so what I want to do, my, my role this morning is I hope to be able to prepare you for that opportunity to be able to participate in the Lord's Supper together and to prepare our hearts for a celebration of this most holy of meals. And the way that I want to be able to do that this morning is by directing your attention once again to the gospel of Mark, the sixth chapter. Mark chapter six. So if you brought your Bibles with you this morning, and I hope that you did, would you please take them and turn with me again to that chapter, Mark chapter six. And we are going to look beginning in verse 30 all the way down through verse 44. And we're gonna look at what is a truly astounding miracle that is recorded here in this chapter. In fact, it is, it is a miracle that is so astounding and, 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 and such a, 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 made such a huge impact that all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, include it in their writings. And, and that is the only miracle that all four gospel writers include in their writings, save for the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And so that in and of itself tells us that this is a very important passage of Scripture. And so I want us to examine Jesus' feeding of the 5,000 men. And we're going to see about that here in just a moment. We're going to pick up by reading in verse 30 and read down through verse 44. Read with me there in your Bibles. Then the apostles gathered to Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place, And rest a while for there are many coming and going and they did not even have time to eat. So they departed to a deserted place in the boat by themselves. But the multitudes saw them departing and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But he answered and said to them, you give them something. And they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? But he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said five and two fish. Then he commanded them to make them all sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks, in hundreds, and in fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before them and the two fish he divided among them all so they all ate and were filled and they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fish those who had eaten the loaves were about five thousand men brothers and sisters this is the word of God, it's for the people of God let's pray together this morning Father we thank you for your goodness to us Thank you for loving us as you do. Thank you for giving us your word that teaches us about you and helps us to understand great and marvelous things, things greater than our minds can even comprehend, and yet not so great that we can't recognize just how good you are, how compassionate and loving and caring and merciful you are. I pray today that our hearts might be warmed to what you would help us to see from your word. Lord, we know that Mark wrote it, but we believe that your Holy Spirit was who moved him along to write these words, and not only him but others in the New Testament, that we can be able to understand a little bit about who we are and a lot about who You are. So I pray that today that would happen, that we might be transformed by that knowledge, that it might make an impact on us, that when we leave this place, we will not leave the same way we came in, but that we would be challenged and we would be transformed. Into the image of your Son, Jesus, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. As I, uh, I mentioned in my introduction, I believe that if we properly understand this passage that I've just read for you this morning, I believe that it will, it will go a great deal toward preparing our hearts to be able to receive the Lord's Supper today. In fact, as one writer has put it, the feeding of the 5,000 actually points to a greater spiritual revelation than is apparent at first sight. You see, in other words, the significance of this miracle is not simply in the fact that that thousands were fed miraculously. Rather, the feeding of the thousands actually teaches us some things about Jesus. And that's really what's important about this passage. William Lane agrees with that writing. He he says that the account of the feeding of the 5,000 possesses a particular significance in the framework of Mark's gospel its elaborate introduction, the extended dialogue with the disciples as well as the subsequent references to this occasion shows that the evangelist regarded this event as crucial for understanding the divinity of Jesus. Now, I want you to know there are many details in this passage that that we could draw our attention to this morning. In fact, I would just say this to you. Oftentimes, one of the hardest parts about creating a sermon is not figuring out what to say. It's figuring out what to leave out. It's figuring out where you have to cut because there's just such amount of time. And and so to be able to really dive into this passage, we could delve into it and spend a tremendous amount of time. But we don't have that kind of time this morning. Therefore, I want to point you to the three main points that I want you to get from this passage with regard to Jesus. Three things that I think are very important for us to note from what this passage teaches us about Jesus. The first one I've included for you on your outline, and it is this. The Lord Jesus is a compassionate shepherd to lost sheep. He is a compassionate shepherd to lost sheep. Note with me that, that Jesus begins this Jesus Mark begins his passage by telling us that Jesus calls his disciples to come away with him, to, to, to go to a place of rest, according to verse 31. And what we learn is, is, that, is that the disciples were, were ministering to others. They were giving to others and serving others to such a degree that they didn't even have time to stop and to nourish themselves. They didn't even have an opportunity to even stop and eat. And so Jesus recognized that they were beginning to run on empty. And he says, come with me, get in the boat with me, and let's go to a deserted place. Let's go to a desolate place. In other words, let's go somewhere where there's not all these people around us so that you can take time to rest. But as soon as they get in the boat, it says that the multitudes who were gathered by them on the shore began to watch the boat as it was sailing and they hadn't planned to go very far so they were not so far out of sight that the people on the shore couldn't see them. And so the multitudes just start running down the shore, tracking the boat. They said, well, wherever he's going, that's where we're going to go. We'll go with him. To the degree that they, along with many others from the villages near the shore, when Jesus and his disciples finally landed on the shoreline, there was more people probably there than there had been at their departure place. I like the way that John MacArthur writes. He says, When Jesus and his disciples reached their destination, the ubiquitous swarming crowd was already there waiting. Now, I can just imagine what the disciples felt at this point. They're probably frustrated. They're thinking, Man, we were going to get away for vacation. We were going to have a little R&R. We were going to have just a little time to take a deep breath. But now this crowd is here, and suddenly we're not going to have that opportunity anymore. But listen... If the disciples were frustrated, notice, notice that Jesus was not. Consider this. Jesus has desired for there to be a time of rest for him and for his disciples. Therefore, seeing this large crowd, he could have sent the multitude away. He, he could have just ignored them, ignored their needs he could have gotten back on the boat and told his disciples, let's sail someplace else where they can't get to us. Jesus could have done all of those things, but Jesus did none of those things. And the reason why is because that's not who Jesus is. Notice, the Lord is not someone who sends people away. He's not someone who ignores people in need. He's not someone who ignores and turns his back on people and walks off. It's not who Christ is. In fact, based upon what we read here in verse 34, when Jesus came off the boat, he experienced a different feeling, not one of disappointment and one of frustration. In fact, Mark tells us that he was moved with compassion. That word compassion there in the Greek is a word that, that literally means to be moved down in the bowels of oneself, to be, to be put into a place of such visceral response that, that you're uncomfortable it hurts. Well, Jesus felt that, that pain down deep in the pit of his stomach when he noticed these people. The, and Mark tells us why. When he saw them, he was moved with compassion because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. Jesus had genuine concern for these people because spiritually speaking, they were wandering as lost sheep without a shepherd for their souls. When he saw them, he saw thousands of shepherdless sheep who were defenseless, who who were lost, sheep who were unable to feed themselves and care for themselves. As a consequence, Mark tells us that Jesus was moved with compassion. He felt a deep and moving concern in the pit of his stomach. I wonder this morning if you recognize that Jesus has that same compassion for you. The Bible says that all of us are just like those sheep. All of us are like sheep who have gone astray. Every one of us has turned to our own way. What that literally means is that all of us have left the fold. All of us have taken our own steps to our own directions and we have turned our backs on God and we've turned our backs on God's way. That is what the Bible calls sin. And the Bible says that every single one of us fit into that category. All of us are sinners. All of us are just like these lost sheep without a shepherd. We're vulnerable. We're helpless. We're hungry. We are hopelessly lost on our own. It is our own sin that has put every single one of us into that category. Friends, I want you to understand this. On the authority of God's Word... There is not one of us, not one who can look around us and because of our social status or because of our upbringing or because of our skin color or because of our ethnicity, there is not one of us that can say that we are better than anybody else. Such views are in clear opposition to the message of the Bible. The Scriptures... The Scriptures place every one of us in the same category. And that is because of our sinful natures, we are hopelessly and helplessly lost sheep. And therefore, the Bible tells us that there is no room for pride and no room for any of us to exalt ourselves over anyone else. Now understand this. The Lord seeing us in that state, He could have... He could have sent us away. He could have ignored us. He could have rightly turned his back and walked away from us. After all, we were the ones who sinned. That's not what he did. Why? Because he's a compassionate God. God is a compassionate God. He's merciful. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in loving kindness. And that is certainly the way that we see Jesus respond to this multitude of people who are waiting for him on the shoreline. And listen, friend, whether you realize it or not, that is the way that he has responded to you. As Kent Hughes has written, regardless of whether you are a believer or not, if you cannot imagine that Jesus has tender compassion for you, you simply just do not know what he is like. As we prepare our hearts for observing the Lord's Supper this morning, it's imperative that we recognize that fact. We recognize this about the Lord Jesus, that he is a compassionate shepherd to lost sheep just like us. Notice what happens next, though. In his compassion for them, Jesus begins to teach the multitudes. He begins to touch them. He begins to, to minister among them just as he had done countless other times thus far in his ministry. But he begins doing it for so long that the sun starts to set. I like the way Mark puts it. He says, the day was now far spent. What that that means is, is that the shadows had started getting long. And as the shadows got longer because the sun was setting, the anxiety of the disciples got greater. Because they're looking out and they see this great big crowd of people. And remember, they had traveled to a deserted place, a desolate place, a place where there was not resources And as they looked out on this crowd, they're going, what in the world are these people going to do? We have nothing to feed them. They have no food. We have no food here to give them. There's no place even to go and buy food. What are we going to do? And so beginning there in verses 34 and 30, excuse me, 35 and 36, they go to Jesus and says, look, we got a problem. And the problem is this. We're in a deserted place and the hour's getting late. And so they come up with their own solution. Here's how we can fix the problem. Verse 36, send the multitude away, they say, that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. That was their desire. That was their way of fixing the problem. But Notice what Jesus says. Jesus looks at his disciples and says, huh, you give them something to eat. How am I supposed to do that? How am I supposed to do that, Jesus? Now, the disciples' response to what Jesus tells them to do there really tells us just how massive this multitude of people was. You know, if we can really get our minds around just how many people there were here to feed. And then it also tells us not how big the problem was, but it tells them how small their faith is by their response. Notice, notice what they say. They, say and they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? That wasn't a legitimate question, by the way. That was a question that was dripping with sarcasm. A denarius was what was paid a worker for one day's wage. So a laborer would, would work and would typically be given one denarius for a day's worth of labor. So this is, this is effectively saying would 200 days' worth of labor, or, or maybe we might say would eight months' worth of salary, if we had that, would we even be able to go find food? If we cross-reference what we read here to what is written in John's gospel, the sixth chapter, John 6, John re- reveals to us that it's Philip who takes this information. And he says, man, 200 denarius worth of food, that's not even enough. If we had any to go buy, there wouldn't be enough bread there for everybody here to even get a taste of it. Now, what that tells us is, is that Philip was saying that the amount of money, that eight-month salary wouldn't even be enough. From, from Philip's perspective, the situation was impossible. It was hopeless. Mark tells us that he, te- he asked his disciples, well tell me how many loaves do you have? Won't you go find out? Now again, if we cross reference to John 6, we find out that it was, it was Andrew, Peter's brother who came back and says, hey I found a little boy, I found a lad and he's got his lunch with him and it's, and it's five barley cakes and, and two pickled fish. Wouldn't you have loved to have been that boy that day when he got that lunch given to him? It was a it was a, 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 a pauper's lunch, but it was all that they found. Now, when they come back, Andrew says, even though we found that, he adds this. He says, but what is that among so many? You see, Andrew was thinking the exact same thing. We found something, but it's not going to fix what problem we've got here. It's not going to be enough to do any good. Here again, we need to focus on what this text reveals to us about Jesus. You see, rather than focusing on the fact that Jesus was was God manifest in human flesh, the disciples chose to focus on the impossible nature and the enormity of their problem. The massive crowd, coupled with the threat of hunger, had caused them to somehow forget that... The Son of God was standing right there in their midst. Mark tells us that the crowd being hungry and then the disciples at a standstill, Jesus then steps in and takes charge of the situation. And then in verse 41, he tells us that Jesus took those five little loaves, which were probably about the size of a biscuit. He took those little loaves and then he blessed them and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people, and the two fish he divided among them all as well. Now, it's right here that we learn the second thing that this text teaches us about Jesus that I don't want you to miss. You see, not only, not only is he a compassionate shepherd to lost sheep, but notice the second point on your outline. The second point is this. The Lord Jesus provides for our every need through his limitless power. He provides for our every need through His limitless power. Our Lord's limitless power is made clear to us through the fact that once He began giving this bread to the, and fish to His disciples, He continued giving it. In fact, the word there in Greek, thats the verb translated gave, is in the imperfect tense. And the imperfect tense implies a repeated and continuous action. So when He began giving the bread, He gave it again. And when He gave it, He gave more. And when He broke it, He gave more. He gave more. And this is what the scene begins to show. As the disciples held out their hands and took the bread and the fish from Jesus, they went out and began to deliver it to all of these people who were divided out into groups of 50 and 100, which, by the way, is how we can know that they knew there was at least 5,000 men there because they had set them out in orderly fashion since so they could be counted. And they began to take this bread and this fish and deliver it, and then their hands were empty and they would go back and the master would put more in it. And then they would go out and give it and their hands would be empty and they'd go back and Jesus would give them more. He gave and he gave and he gave. And that points us to the miraculous nature of, Jesus always provides for our needs. He never runs out of a supply. I like what Alexander McLaren has said. He says the pieces grew under the master's touch and the disciples always found his hands full when they came back with their own empty. Here's what that tells us. A God that can do that can do anything. Think about this. If He can multiply the molecular structure of barley cakes and pickled fish, then surely with the same creation power He can create within us a clean heart. He can can create in us a new heart a heart that is of flesh and not of stone, friend, He can give us new life. Because we are lost sheep, because we are hungry and hopeless and helpless, what the greatest need that you and I have is to recognize that what we need is what Christ can offer us. The greatest need we have is that He will create new life within us. That's the creative power that the Apostle Paul refers to in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is is in Christ, listen, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. That is the creative power of what the Lord Jesus does when he brings life to us, when he saves us from our sins. And it's exactly what this miracle points to. What it tells us is that nothing is impossible, not physically, not spiritually, with Jesus Christ. So this passage reveals to us that Jesus is a compassionate shepherd to lost sheep. It secondly tells us that Jesus provides for our every need through His limitless power. And then finally, I want you to notice this as we prepare to observe the Lord's Supper this morning, and that is the third point, the Lord Jesus fully satisfies our hungering hearts. He satisfies fully, our hungering hearts. Verse 42 says it this way. He says, they all ate and were filled. The word translated filled there literally means to experience inward satisfaction. John tells it this way. He says that the people ate as much as they wanted. Now, you may be thinking about barley cakes and pickled fish and think, well, it wouldn't take me long to have eaten as much as I wanted. Think about this. You're there. And it's Jesus. It's the one who, who fully has all abilities to do all kinds of things. And it's the master of the universe who, who breaks the bread and offers it to you. And multiplies that fish and offers it to you. And John says they ate until they were filled. They were They were fully satiated. Can you imagine a better meal than being fed by the hands of the Lord Jesus through his disciples? What's interesting about that simply is this. Oftentimes, what we seek to fill us are not the things that the Bible says will actually fill us and satisfy us. In fact, I love what Jeff Thomas has written. He says, I wish that everyone here could say about Christ that they had ate of him and were filled. He says, I wish that we could say we had tasted for ourselves the bread from heaven and were satisfied. I wish we could tell everyone that we are satisfied with Jesus, that he has educated us, atoned for our sins, and that he has guided and protected us throughout our lives and that we have tasted of the Son of God and are satisfied. So often I fear that that's not the testimony that we hear. For many of us, we have tasted of the Son of God, but we still search for other things to satisfy the deep longings of our heart. And if anything at all draws us together as believers in Christ to point us to the full satisfaction that Jesus Christ offers. It is to gather as people of God around the table of God and to experience it once again that Jesus Christ fully satisfies our hungering hearts. There is nothing else that you can plug into your life that is going to do for you what the Lord Jesus offers to do. In John 10, 10, he says, I have come that you may have life and that you may have life more abundant. If that's not your testimony, I want you to know it can be. See, the Lord Jesus had compassion on folks just like you and just like me. Lost sheep who have gone astray. Folks who have sinned, made a mess out of their lives. Many of us have probably felt at one point like we had gone past the point of, of even being able to be reconciled to God, but that is not the case. The Lord Jesus has compassion on lost sheep just like you and me. And in His compassion, He provides for us, meeting our every need through His limitless power. In fact, the miracle that is demonstrated for us here really points toward the greater miracle which will occur when He dies on the cross. And gives of himself the living bread, the bread of life, so that we might be saved. He died on the cross for sinners just like you and me. And finally know this, every heart hungers to be filled. But the heart of a man, wrote J.C. Ryle, can never be satisfied with the things of this world. It is always empty and hungry and thirsty and dissatisfied until it comes to Christ. That leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning which is this. Jesus reveals himself to be the compassionate shepherd who satisfies the true hunger of our souls by providing us with what we need most, him. And so with that understanding, I believe that we can't truly read this passage in Mark 6 and see that Jesus feeds these people and not recognize that it translates directly into what we're about to do now. Because I want you to notice this. Jesus blessed the bread, he broke the bread, and then he gave the bread. But if you'll look with me, just turn just very briefly over a few pages to Mark 14. Mark 14, verse 22, we see that Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. And as he does this, he says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread, listen, blessed it and broke it. And gave it to them. The exact same verbs that took place here in Mark 6 are the verbs that it uses when he institutes the Lord's Supper in Mark 14. And then he says this, Take, eat, this is my body. And then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they drank. all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer drink of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out the Mount of Olives. And so at that that Passover meal when Jesus sat down with his disciples, he took a loaf probably didn't look like this but it was a, a loaf of bread something that was a common element on every table in that Jewish world. And he took that loaf and he broke it. And the breaking of that loaf symbolized him giving of his own body him, him giving of Himself so that sinners like you and I, sinners like those disciples, might recognize that He was providing the sacrifice for them, that He would become the sacrificial lamb. And as He broke that bread, He passed it around, and each one took a piece. And this morning, as we come to the table of the Lord, we also will take bread, and we will pass it around. And if you are here today, and you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have repented of your sins and confessed Him to be your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to this table to partake of this, to participate in it. And as you eat of this bread, that you will remember that Jesus is the bread of life, the one who has come to give Himself as a sacrifice for you. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the opportunity that we have as Your people to be able to to gather around this table. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for instituting this meal as a time of remembering. And thank you for allowing us to be able to look and see just how good and merciful you two are to us as being a good shepherd, a compassionate shepherd, supplying one who supplies our needs and one who fills us fully from your grace. We thank you for this time and in Christ's name, amen. The other very common element that would have been found on the Jewish table was the cup in which would have been the wine and it probably wouldn't have been in a cup like this one a chalice but it would have been in a cup of some kind it would have been a, a common cup a cup that would have been shared and passed around the table and each time That Those disciples would have had an opportunity to look down in that cup. They would have seen the red color of that wine. And Jesus then infused that symbolically with a recognition that this is my blood. It would have been very easy to make that connection, the red color of the wine and then the red blood. And, And here was the thing. Each of those guys around that table had red blood flowing through their veins. That united them in their humanity with one another. But when the cup was passed, Jesus said, this is my blood, which is shed for the remission of sins. And so when they were able to peer down into that cup and to see that red color, then they realized that there was something external from them that would unite them. Something not that they had within them, not their own blood, but it would be the blood of a Savior. The blood of a Paschal Lamb. The blood of one that was shed to wash away their sins that would unite them together as brothers. So this morning as we gather around this table, we're going to pass these cups of juice around and they're going to be clear. and You're going to be able to see that red color. And as your heart beats, it's going to remind you that you have life, physical life with you. But as those ripples pass back and forth across that cup, you will also hopefully come to realize that it was the blood of Jesus that unites us together as brothers and sisters and gives us not physical life, but promises us life eternal. And that's what draws us together as a people of God. So this morning as we prepare to take of the cup, Let's go to the Lord in prayer again and ask his blessings. Father, thank you for giving us this time. Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood for us. and That we know that it is because you have shed your blood that we can be washed clean of our sins. It does not mean that we are guiltless. It means that you no longer hold our guilt against us and our sin against us because you have taken our punishment and you have taken it on yourself. So because of your blood, we as a people are united together. We thank you for that. And we praise you for this opportunity to remember it in Christ's name. shed for the remission of sins, take and drink. This so is we also read there in Mark 14. It said that after they had taken that meal together, that Jesus' disciples went out and they sang a hymn. We have no idea what that hymn was. Here's what I recognize is that the disciples probably still did not fully understand what had just taken place. They couldn't because the crucifixion had not happened yet. Neither had the resurrection. Neither had the totality of the scriptures been written. The Holy Spirit had not come as he wound up coming on the day of Pentecost. Brothers and sisters, all of that has happened now. We have the full revelation of God's word. The Holy Spirit has come that testifies to the truthfulness of God's word. And we know that because of his death, because of his burial, and because of his resurrection, that we truly do have life, life that fully satisfies us. That he has provided everything that we need through his his sacrifice. And that in his compassion and love for us, he still calls folks just like you and I to himself. Perhaps you're here this morning. And you're still struggling through this whole thing about Jesus. You want to know a little bit more about Him. You're not quite ready to to commit your life to Him. I understand that, but I want you to know it is the compassion and mercy of Christ that is drawing you to Him this morning. And I want you to know I'd be happy to pray with you. So with Pastor Ted, so with Pastor Dave, these men along this front, there's plenty of people in here would love to be able to talk to you further about Jesus. Maybe you're here and you just you're struggling with something in your life and maybe through just considering it you've, you've tried to satisfy yourself in other ways and this morning that's been brought to your attention and through his holy spirit he's brought conviction there i want you to know there's an opportunity here for you to spend some time in prayer before the lord i'll be happy to pray with you about that too however the spirit of god is leading you this morning i invite you to come there are those who are here that we've met with who are desiring to join the church this is a perfect opportunity for you Let us present you to the church body. However the spirit of God is moving in your life, I invite you to respond as we stand together and as we sing.